Well, we all have uh, different beliefs, and there's different kinds of beliefs. There's things that you believe that are just kind of factual knowledge. There's things that you could look around and say, that boat costs this amount of money, and it is this many tons, and there's facts that you have. You might know certain facts about uh, sports statistics if you're into that, or you might know certain facts about history if you're into that, or various things we know factually. There's kind of factual knowledge that we have. But there's deeper kinds of knowledge than that as well. There's deeper kinds of knowing. There's deeper kinds of beliefs. There's beliefs you have that control your life. There's factual beliefs that you maybe know, and then there's beliefs you have that control your life. There's negative beliefs you could have that control your life. One of the most popular forms of therapy is called cognitive behavioral therapy, which means it's changing what you believe and that it will change, therefore, your life. There's certain beliefs you have that are positive beliefs that control and change your life. You could believe uh, that if you change your health or change your fitness, that life will be better. And because of that belief, you actually start to make a lot of changes in your life and then your life is better. You could believe that it is good for you to save money, to be able to buy a house or to do some good thing. And then you actually control your life because of that belief that this is an important thing. And so it changes your decisions. It changes your spending. It changes your saving. And so we have factual beliefs, but we also have beliefs that control us, that change the outcome of our beliefs, excuse me, that change the outcome of our life. And all of us, whether you are a Christian and have been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you're even just exploring faith, exploring Christianity, if you are a Christian or exploring it, you want a kind of faith that is more than just facts. You're not here because you just want to know a bunch of facts. Just tell me some Bible trivia. That, that's not why you are here. You're here because you want to grow in beliefs that can actually change you, that can actually control your life in a positive way. We want a faith that is more than just facts, but a faith that is a deep-rooted belief that actually controls our lives, that helps us, that makes a difference in our life that gives us joy, that helps us with suffering, that helps us in our relationships, that helps our emotions, that helps us with guilt or shame or anxiety or suffering. We, we want a faith that actually is controlling of our life, not just facts. That is what we desire. But oftentimes, oftentimes, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you're honest, we can feel some kind of sense of emptiness some sense of dryness or coldness even to God. And just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but it's kind of on autopilot. It's just, I'm a Christian, trying to be a good person, trying to do the right things. I even read the Bible, come to church. But it's not necessarily something that you feel like is making you alive. It's not necessarily something that you feel like is changing you and giving you deep wells of joy. And yet, that is possible. That is available to us. You can have a faith, whether you're just starting out or you've been a Christian for a long time, you can have a faith that is alive. You can have a faith that is not just facts that you know, but is transformative and controlling in your life. You can have a faith that affects everything, that affects your day-to-day, -day, that affects and changes all the different things around you. We can have that 
kind of faith. So whether life for you right now is hard or faith is something new and that's what you desire, or if you've been a Christian for a long, long, long time and it's kind of just settled into an autopilot, there is, the whole, the whole kind of point of this series is there is more that God wants to build into your life. And there is more that we can build towards in experience. That, that God really does have a vision for your life of more than it is now. And that's true if you've been a Christian for a long time or just starting. There is more because God's an infinite God. And so there is more that you can, that we can experience that he wants to give to you. And the key that we're going to look at today is if you want to build towards that, if you want a faith that's alive, if you want it not just to be facts, but to be transformative, if you want that, a key is sight. We have to see. We have to see rightly. And so I'm going to read the whole section that we're going to look at, and then we'll go through and explore what it means by that we need sight. Here's what Paul says. He says, this is why referring to what we looked at earlier, all the spiritual blessings that are available to us in God. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. But let's start with this. Why do we need to see? Excuse me, I just need to take a drink here. Why do we need to see? Paul prays this prayer. He says, he uses the word revelation, which is a sight word that we need to be able to see things. And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, the eyes of your heart, that your heart would see certain things. He prays that it would, the eyes of our heart would not be darkened, but that they would actually see things correctly. And if he prays this, if he prays that kind of thing that we would be able to see, what does it mean? It means we tend not to see. It means that we tend towards being blind. It means that we tend towards ignorance. It means that there's certain things that are available to see. But if Paul is praying, I pray that you would see, I pray your heart would be enlightened, that means that we tend towards darkness. We tend towards ignorance. We tend towards foolishness. We tend towards not seeing the reality that actually exists. And so when Paul prays that we would be able to see, it means that if we're not careful... There is reality in certain things we could see that we would tend not to see. And there's at least three different ways that that is true that I want you to think about and try to think about maybe which of these may affect your ability to see. The first way that we may not see or the reason we might not see is because there's other things that we see. If you think about your life and you think about 
your relationship with God or you think about your faith, what causes you not to see God as clearly as you could? What causes you not to be as full of the truth of who God is as you could be? What causes us to miss it? It could be just because our eyes are closed and we're missing it, but it can also be because our eyes are full of other things, that we're looking at other things. It's not so much that we're just blind, but that our sight, our vision is filled up with other things that's crowding out. There's one way to miss seeing something that is you're blind, but there's another way to miss seeing something because your vision is actually full, but it's full of other things. Think about uh, Waldo. What makes it hard, and maybe someone you are like, got it, got Waldo already. I, I don't know, okay? But what makes it hard to find Waldo? It's because, some of you are not even paying attention because you're looking for Waldo. <laughs> what makes it hard to find Waldo isn't because Waldo's so hard to see, but it's because there's all these other things that are filling your vision, right? Or I don't know if you've ever heard about this study, uh, the Invisible Gorilla. This was a study in Harvard University in the 90s. And there's a video that will show you of people playing basketball, and it tells you count how many times that they pass. And as you're watching the video, a gorilla, a, a fake, a human gorilla, walks through, and most people, I think it's like 90% of people, don't see the gorilla. Now, you probably think, oh, that's impossible. I would totally see the gorilla. You wouldn't. YouTube it. You can find it. And the reason is because you are not blind. It's not because your eyes are closed but because your vision is filled with other things. You're looking at this, and so you miss what's there. This is oftentimes true for us, that what will keep us, the reason that we don't see everything we could see is because our vision is filled with other things. We are distracted. We're distracted with technology. We're distracted with media. We're distracted with our stresses and concerns. We're distracted with our worries about the future, our worries about our health, our worries about our finances. We're distracted with our problems. We're distracted by our desires, things that we want, and even our goals and pleasures and comfort and people's opinions of us. We're, our vision is actually full of so many things that then we miss who God is. So that's one of the reasons, one of the ways that we can miss a second way that we can be blind and thus that we need to see, a second way is our, we don't have focus. We can hear, even on a Sunday, hear all sorts of things about God, and yet not really hear. We can see and yet not really see. We can be around the things of God. Some of you maybe have been Christians for a long time or even grew up in church, and you can be around God's people. You can be around Bible stories. You can be around sermons. You can be around Christian music. You can be around the things of God and yet miss it. I don't know if you, when I was a kid, these things were really popular. I don't know if you've ever seen these things, kind of these magic eye things. Uh, some of you are like, I don't even know what this is. Well, it's called magic eye because if you look at this, it isn't just a bunch of squiggles. There's a dragon. Some of you don't believe me. But if you look at it in the right way, there's a dragon in there. Can you see? Does anyone see it? You don't see it? Oh, that's too bad. It's beautiful. But this is a great illustration of what often happens to us. That there's a 3D dragon right about here that a lot of you don't see. 
And think about Judas. I'm going to have to move the picture because some of you won't be able to focus, just like Waldo. I have too many games today that you're not going to be able to focus. Think about Judas. He's around Jesus. He's around Jesus for several years. He sees miracles. He he hears Jesus' teaching. He's around the community of disciples, and he misses it. He doesn't really see who Jesus is. He sees him, but he doesn't really see him because there's not a focus. He sees this, but he doesn't see what's beyond that. Same thing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and Jesus even says to them, you are searching the scriptures. You know the scriptures, and yet you miss me, and the scriptures are the ones that are testifying about me. It is actually sometimes more dangerous the more familiar you are with Christian things because they feel like, yeah, I've seen that, and yet we don't necessarily have the focus. We hear things about God. We've, you've read the Bible, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But we've actually missed it because we don't have deep focus. We don't have meditation. There are amazing things about God, and you've only seen the squiggles and the lines, even though he's a 3D dragon. You, you have seen and heard certain things and been exposed to things about God, but you can miss the deep powerful of who he actually is and it be transformative in your life because we don't actually have focus. We just kind of scroll by. We see certain elements, but we actually miss who he is. And so another way that we can be blind is we see, but there's not focus. We see, but there's not depth. And so we miss the power of who he is. And then the third and final way is that we can settle for what we do see. We settle for what we do see. Look what Paul says. He says, since I heard about your faith, I pray that God would give you revelation in the knowledge of him. So when he says, since I heard about your faith, what does that mean? It means they're Christians. They have faith. They see things. They have belief. So they already have it. He's not praying for people that are not Christians that they would become Christians, although that's good. He says, I know about your faith. I know about your love for one another. So there's good and positive things that are happening in these people's lives. I know about your faith. And ever since I heard about your faith, your belief, your sight, your knowledge of who God is, ever since I heard about that, what does he do? I keep asking that God would give you more of it. But see, it's easy for us to settle. And sometimes the reason that we miss or the reason we don't see is because we already have seen and we don't really realize this is available to us though. I have faith. Okay, yeah, you do. But there's more that's available to you. I see, I know who God is. Yes, but there's more that's available to you. Uh, Last year, we went to the Grand Canyon, my family and I, and I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, but it's huge. It's grand, some might even say. It's it's very large. They don't call it the very large canyon. That doesn't have quite the ring to it, right? But it's, it's, it's amazing. And one of the things that stood out to me is when you stand up here, if you're up here, you look down and it's like there's this layer, but then there's this layer. And then there's this layer, and you can't even in this picture actually see the bottom. It just kind of keeps going. You think that's the bottom, but there's another bottom, and another bottom, and another bottom. And it keeps stretching out. And we hiked, I don't know, maybe it took us three hours. We, we did a hike. It was great. 
it was really easy on the way down. And then on the way back up, it was, it was difficult. And it was amazing. But I could not say, I've seen the Grand Canyon. Check. I've explored all of the Grand Canyon. I spent three hours exploring it. But it's huge. And it's, there's different entrances. And there's different places that you can go to. And there's, you can go down to the river at the very bottom. And you can, I mean, they, they say that it's so big that you're not even allowed to hike uh, towards a certain point unless you're going to camp overnight because you wouldn't be able to get back. And that's just one specific hike. It's, I mean, really, you could spend a lifetime exploring the Grand Canyon. And that's just one national park in one state. And yet, if I were to say, I get it, I totally understand the Grand Canyon, and I've experienced it, then I'm actually missing out. How much more is that true with God? That we say, I know about God's love. I know about God's control. I know about God's goodness. I know about God's comfort. I know about God's grace. I know about God's power. And yet you do, you know some of it, but you don't know all of it. There is more because he's an infinite God. And yet we can be blind to all that God wants to show us because we actually have faith. We actually have experienced some of it, but then miss out on the fullness of what it could be. And the truth is we don't just need more facts about who God is. In fact, most of the things, for a lot of you, maybe not for all of you, especially if you're new and just exploring faith, most of the things that you need in your life, most of the things you need to see, most of the the things that you need for your faith, most of the things that are going to bring transformation and depth and joy and maturity, most of it you already know. But you don't know in the depths of what you could know. Most of you already know God loves you. And yet that truth is a Grand Canyon in and of itself. Most of you know God is powerful, but you know it as a three-hour hike or a 10-hour hike or a 20-hour hike, but not all of it. Most of you know God is forgiving, but you don't know the depths of it. You know a snapshot of it. You know one of the layers of it, but not all of it. And actually, the, the language that Paul uses for knowledge The normal word for knowledge in the Greek is uh, gnosis. And yet he says epinosis, which epi is a preface that means abundant or upon or on or super. And he says that what you need, what I'm praying for is epinosis. That's what I'm praying for. There's things that you know, but that you need to epinote. There's things that you get. There's things that you've seen. But God says, I want you to truly know it, to fully know it. A difference between just facts and an experiential knowledge where you know it in your depths. There's a lot of different illustrations that I could give to you about this, but but think even of this picture. You can know something of the Grand Canyon by seeing this, but you'll know more of it by experiencing it. I could tell you that Honey or sugar or maple syrup is sweet. I could tell you that. I could even break down, I couldn't, but I could Google the chemistry of it and the breakdown of it and why it's sweet. But that's different from actually pouring maple syrup on your French toast and taking a big old bite. That's different. There's a different kind of knowing. There's an epi-knowing that happens through experience. 
this is one of the key reasons, especially for those that have been Christians for a long time, of why we are blind or why we need to see is because you can see and yet not fully see. Part of that is because we see other things and our vision is filled. Part of it is because we don't have the focus that we need. And part of it is because we settle for the experience that we have. So why do we need to see? Because we can miss out if we don't. And what I love about this passage also is this. The fact that Paul is praying this for these people and the fact that God puts this in his word means that if you ever experience that, if you ever feel like, I know things, sometimes people say it like, I know it here, but I don't know it here. If you ever feel like that, if you ever feel like, I know there's these amazing truths about God, but my heart's not alive to them, my heart's not awake to them. If you ever feel like that, you're not crazy. God knows that. God cares about that. God actually wants to do something about that. That experience is something that a lot of people have, and it's addressed in the Bible. Because God wants more for you. He wants to give you beyond what you have, and it flows from sight. And so the next question is, what do we need to see? That's why we need to see. What do we need to see? And this isn't everything, but it lays a good foundation of some of the things that we need to see. Paul gives three specific things that he says that we need to see. Things that you know, but that you need to epi-know things that you see, but that you need to more fully see. He gives three things. The first is hope. He says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And when he's talking about the hope of his, of his calling is God has called you and he has given you, promised you certain things. He's called you from this and he's called you to this. He's called you to a beautiful future, which is secure for you. When the Bible talks about hope, it's not how we often use hope. And maybe you've heard this before. A lot of times when we use the word hope, we use it as wish. Like, what do you hope? Ah, oh, I hope they don't cancel my show. I hope I get a second date. I hope that uh, even though we don't have a reservation, we can get in. I hope that whatever it is. Just I hope it's good weather. It's just kind of I wish. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's talking about a sure confidence that we have. It's talking about this is your hope. This is your confidence. This is how you can be sure. That's what the Bible means when it talks about hope. And what he says is you have a hope from his calling. And therefore, you can be confident that your future is secure. You can be confident that here, this is amazing news. You can be confident that your future, if you're a Christian and you are God's child, you can be confident that your future holds God being good to you. That's what you can be sure of. That's not, I wish, I really wish that that's going to be the case. He says, here's the hope of his calling. Here's, here's what I want you to see even more clearly, that your future holds God being good to you. Your future, through the ups and the downs of life, holds God being good to you. Your ultimate, eternal future holds God being good to you. That's what your future is. Will you have pain? Yes. Will you have sickness? Yes. Is our world fallen and broken? Yes. But you can be sure, if you are a Christian, 
God will be good to you. That that's what your future holds. And if we know that, then when we face difficulty, when we face problems, when we have a difficult week, when we are anxious about various things, or when we're tempted to think, this life is kind of all there is, so I got to get all I can now. This is my only chance at life. This is all that there is, so I got to get everything I can now. Any good I'm going to have is now. Any enjoyment I'm going to have is now. Any experiences I'm going to have is now. And so I got to get all I can now. When we're tempted to live like that, he says, let me remind you, I know you see this, but I want you to, I want you to more fully see the hope of his calling, that your future is beautiful, your future is glorious. What he has for you, he will always be good to you. And this life is not all there is. There is an eternal joy that you will have. We need to see that your future holds him being good to you now and in a fully restored creation one day. That's the first thing he wants us to see. The second thing he wants us to see, he uses this word inheritance. And this word can be used in different ways. He says, what is the wealth of his, that's God's, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, this, a lot of times, and I actually, Paul talked about this, and I, I mentioned it last week, there's an inheritance that Christians have, meaning you have an inheritance in heaven of the good things that await for you after death. But this is using it different. And this is one of the uses very, very common in the Old Testament. It's also used in the New Testament, like here. But it's talking not about your inheritance of what awaits you. It's actually talking about God's inheritance. What is his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's in the Christians. Meaning that you are God's inheritance. Which means this. You are what God looks forward to. You are God's prize. You are the thing that God most wants. If you were uh, to have a wealthy uncle that passed away, it's always an uncle, but I guess it could be a cousin. You had a wealthy cousin that passed away. And he, you know, maybe Elon Musk is your cousin and you don't know. And he just gives you an inheritance and now you own Tesla. Not a Tesla, Tesla. You own all, the whole thing, right? And he gives that to you. You would go, Wow, that's a gift, right? What an inheritance. And that's kind of what we think of when we think of inheritance is this, this treasure of wealth that is given to us. But what Paul is saying here is that you are God's treasure, that you are the thing that he gets, that you are the thing that belongs to him that he gets to enjoy. Now that's another amazing, beautiful truth that you probably know. It's similar to saying God loves you, it's similar to saying God cares about you or God values you. You probably know that, but he says, I want you to really see this. Because what if you really believed, I'm what God treasures most? What would happen if you, if you really saw that more than you see now? What would happen if that dropped layers deep? You know what that would do to our extreme care of do people like me or how do I come across or am I accepted or am I in group or do people approve of me or even loneliness and how, how the, the quality of your friendships of, man, I, I want more relationally than I have. You know what it would do if you knew that God says, I treasure you. 
You are my inheritance. That changes our emotional experience. You know what it would do to suffering? See, there's a lot of suffering that happens in our lives, and then we have questions. And one of the questions is often, why, God, did you bring this in? Why, God, did you allow this? Why, God, is my life like this and not like this? God, why is my life like this and their life is not like this? And I read the Bible more than they do. They can't even finish their Bible reading plan, and it's the second week of January. Why is their life so good and mine's not? We can get a lot of questions, but you know what it would do if you knew this? I don't know the answer to why God does this, but I know the answer that it can't be. It can't be because he doesn't love me because he says, I'm his treasure. He says, I'm his inheritance. And so it helps you to say, okay, this is hard. This is difficult, but I know that you are for me because you say I'm your treasure. It helps filter everything through that. What about difficult things that God calls you to, to obey in? God says, I want you to obey, and it's challenging. It goes against every being of your nature. It goes against maybe things that you were taught. It goes against the waves of the culture. It goes against values around you, and yet you know God calls me to obey in this, and it's hard. But what if I knew? But he says, He treasures me. And so if he's calling me to this and he says he treasures me and I'm his inheritance, he must must be for my good. This must not be because he's against me. This must not be because he's trying to hurt me. He's trying to take from me. He's trying to hold out on me. It must be because he's good to me and I don't understand. God says, I know that you know that I treasure you, but I want you to epino. I want you to see it. I want you to see it more fully. I want you to experience it in your bones. And then the third thing that he gives to us is power. He says, I want you to know this, this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I'm going to talk about this uh, part here more next week, The whole sermon will be on this, but I just wanted to give you context because it's connected here. The immeasurable greatness of his power, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand. So he's saying, available to you, what I want you to see is this power in Christ that is manifest, especially in the resurrection. See, where do you feel weak right now? Maybe you can even think about it like this. What in life feels hard to overcome? What in life feels, this is a big challenge and it's hard to get over? What in life maybe hasn't changed and you feel stuck? That's another, that's power language or that's weakness language is, I feel stuck. I can't move beyond this point. I feel stuck relationally, emotionally, in maturity and sin and in suffering and in difficulty and just being able to figure out life and in parenting and marriage and in all sorts of things, you can say, I, I feel weak and I feel stuck and I feel like I can't get beyond this. Life feels too much. I feel stressed, overwhelmed, anxious. Sadly, oftentimes when we're in those moments, 
the resource that we look to is more of ourselves. So we feel stuck, we feel overwhelmed, we feel like we can't go forward, and what we do is go, okay, I just need more self-confidence, more self-esteem, more self-worth, more self-motivation, more self-help. I just need, if I had more of me, and sometimes even trying to be kind to each other, we say things like, and this is all over the place. I don't know who invented this little phrase, but it's the magic three words that have replaced I love you is, you got this, or we got this, which is to say, life is hard, but you can overcome it. And maybe it's not yourself, maybe it's money that you look to, or for them in their culture, I mentioned this last week, uh, the city of Ephesus was the center of magic, they looked to a lot of the different magical powers that were available to them to help them overcome certain things. It could be all sorts of resources that we grab onto that say, life is hard, I just need some of this and it will get me beyond. I feel weak, but if I have this, it will get me over it. And what Paul says is, available to you is more than all of that. You have God's power available to you. You have God's power that he gives to you. What's the most powerful thing that you can think of? I I searched this, and some of the most powerful things are black holes, nuclear missiles, Earthquakes, hurricanes, the sun's energy, our brains. Those are generally, if you were to just search, what are the most powerful things that exist? It's them. And these can all be measured. Nuclear weapons are measured in kilotons or megatons. I won't go through all of this, except it's kind of interesting that the human brain is measured in flops. just think that's funny. If I say to you, it's a compliment, you have a really floppy brain, you know that that's actually a, a compliment. I'm, I'm praising you. But all of that has scales of measurement that exist. But what does Paul say? He says that God has power and it is immeasurable in its greatness. It's immeasurable. When we think about God's power and it's more powerful than all of the things that I just listed, and it's so powerful that there's no, there's no qualitative or quantitative measurement that you can add upon it. You can't say God's power is measured in floppy kilobyte megatons. It's, there's, there's no measure to it. It's so much that it can bring life out of death. It's so much that Jesus rules over every power and authority that exists. It's so much that you can't even quantify it. And what Paul says is, That is the power, not just that exists, that you marvel at. Nuclear missiles are powerful. You can look at them and go, wow. An earthquake is powerful, and you look at it and say, wow. But it's power toward us. See, a nuclear missile has power, but it exists not for you. An earthquake has power, and it exists not for you. The sun's energy exists not for you or towards you. God has immeasurable greatness of power towards you for you in your life. And so where you feel weak, where you feel that you can't get beyond, where you feel stuck, where you feel that you can't move past, he says, God has a power that is available for you and towards you, which means whatever you are facing in life, you're not alone in that. He says, I know that you know I'm powerful. I know you know that. If I gave you a kindergarten test, is God powerful? 
When, when my kids were younger and we would read through the Bible, a lot of times the question was, what does this tell us about God? And almost always the answer was, he's powerful. Yep, that's true. That story tells that. What does this story tell you? He's powerful. Yep, that's how, what is this story? He's powerful. So every kid knows that answer. And yet, he is saying there's more to it that you can know. You face things and you so easily check off, I know God's powerful, but I really need this. I know God's powerful, but I really need more of this. He says, no, 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 you don't get it. There's more to know. God is immeasurably powerful towards you in your life. If, if you knew that, what would happen? You'd lose fear. You'd have a greater confidence in all sorts of things, greater confidence to, to try things that you're afraid that you might fail at, greater confidence to be bold in your faith or in conversations or in generosity or in ministry. You would have a lot more courage, a lot more boldness, a lot more confidence because you know God's immeasurable power is towards me. It would also mean we would ask for it. When we face difficult situations, we wouldn't just be sad. We wouldn't just be angry. We wouldn't just be stressed out. We wouldn't search for every solution we can find. We would say, God, I need your power. If it's true that it's immeasurably great and it's for me, God, I need it. So these are some things that Paul says we need to see. Here's the truth. You will see something. And what fills your eyes will fill your heart and then ultimately will fill your life. What fills your eyes, what fills your focus, what fills your vision, what fills your mind, what fills your eyes will fill your heart. It will control your life. It will fill your life up. Is these things, are these things, what are filling your vision or have you focused on other things? Have you kind of check the box that you know these things about God and moved on? Or is this what's filling your vision? You want an alive faith? You want a joyful, controlling faith that controls your beliefs? God says, I know that you know. I know you know these things, but I want to show you more. Have you ever said, I don't know if you've ever used this phrase, but you at least know that it exists. Have you ever said or heard someone say, you don't know me? I've actually said that. It was in high school, but, you know, it sounded really cool back then. <clears throat> it was cutting edge. Now it's just a, a meme, right? But, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean you don't know I exist. It means there's parts of me you don't know. You don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I could do to you. You don't know me. What we're saying is there is stuff in me that be, because you are limited, you can't fully get it. In some ways, God is saying, you don't know me, but not in an aggressive way, but in an invitational way to say, I want you to experience who I am. I want you to know me. Don't, I mean, let's just be honest. Don't you feel like people don't fully know you? Don't you feel like there's parts of you that people don't fully get? Sometimes we talk about there's a side of me or this or, you know, in, in this context, I'm really serious. But really, if you get to know him, he's really funny. Or you think that she's kind of a jerk. But really, if you get to know her, she's really nice. Or you think that there, we're saying there, there's more to you. I'm sure that's true of every single one of you. There's more to you. But if that's true of you, don't you think it's true of God? That there's more to him than you've discovered? And he is saying, this is what's so cool. He is saying, and I want you to know it. 
I'm not saying you don't know me, so back off. I'm saying you don't know me. Come on in. Final thing. How do we see? Because maybe this sounds great, that there's that we need to see and there's more that we can see, there's more available to us that can actually control and transform our life in a different kind of faith. How do we get this? How do we see like this? And the answer is simple, but everything we've talked about in some sense is simple. The answer is prayer. He says, I remember you in my prayers. I pray that God would reveal himself. I pray that your heart would see these things? The answer is prayer. See, Paul teaches. Paul does teach, right? He, he teaches things, and, and the passage before that we looked at last week, he walks through all of God's blessings that God offers to us. So Paul teaches. He does give us content. He does give us information. But more is needed than just information. That's why it's it's helpful to look at the structure of this first chapter where Paul says, here's all the blessings that God wants to give to you. But then intuitively, after outlaying all the blessings, it's as if he knows, yeah, but I can't just tell you that. That's not enough. And so then he pauses and says, I gotta pray for you. I gotta pray that everything that we just talked about, that it would become more alive to you and more real to you. I can teach you, but if you really want to see, you need God's power to open your eyes. If you really want to see, you need God's power to help you to move beyond. If you see, but don't really see. If you know, but don't really know. The answer is prayer. The answer is asking God to give you more than what you had. That's the only way it comes because prayer is living engagement and experience with God. That's why, because it's actually engaging with him. Here's what this means. It means a few things. First, it means that we should ask for this kind of prayer from other people. It means we should ask for this kind of prayer. We, we oftentimes, if you're a Christian and maybe you're in a community group or just church circles, we oftentimes ask for prayer. But a lot of times we ask for prayer about situations. But how often do your prayers look like this? Pray that I would see God more clearly. Pray that I would know his power more clearly. Pray that I would know his hope more clearly. Pray that I would know his goodness towards me more clearly. That I would know how much he loves me and treasures me. How often do we ask for that kind of prayer? There's a lot of things that Paul could pray for, I'm sure. There's a lot of things that Paul could say, I pray for this person, this. I pray that this person would recover in their health. I pray that this person would, but he doesn't choose any of that. He says, I need to pray these things for you. Which means we need to ask for this kind of prayer. When's the last time you asked for this kind of prayer? That should become a more regular part of our prayer requesting. If you want to see this happen, you ask for prayer. This needs to become a regular part of our requesting of prayer because it's what we most need and it's what will lead to everything else. And secondly, related to that, means we should give this kind of prayer. Who doesn't need this? I need this. Pray this for me. If you don't want to pray for anyone else, I ask for it. Here's my prayer request. Pray this for me. That might be selfish and cheating because I'm up here and you're not, but I'm asking for prayer. Pray this for me. 
But this is what we should give to others. This is the kind of ways that we should pray. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for tangible things and people need a job. Yes, pray for it. People need healing. Yes, pray for it. But these are the kind of prayers that we should give to one another. That we sh- what if we were committed to praying this for our spouses, for you parents, for your children, for your community group, for those that are struggling? What if we committed to praying this way for people? And then third, it means that we need to read the Bible and engage with God in this way. See, the Bible is the way that God draws you in to see who he is. Where are we learning all this that we're talking about? From the Bible. The Bible is the way that God draws you in to show you more of himself. The Bible is the way that God says, here's who I am, which means if you want to see him more clearly, It won't just happen by osmosis. It happens as we know him through seeing him. And the place that we see him revealed is his word. And so we engage with the Bible relationally to say, God, show me more of who you are. David prays that in the Psalms. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes to see who you are. And then we pray and engage with him through his word. This is... The only way that you can move beyond just a factual faith to an experiential super faith that transforms and controls your life. It's through these things. All of this is available to you. All of this God wants for you. We we want a vibrant faith, right? We want a vibrant, powerful faith that's alive. How does that happen? It happens as we see, as we know in a deeper way. You can have this. You can. This is available to you. Listen, I'll just tell you, probably the the biggest thing on my heart for you and for Christians in general, and as I minister to other pastors and other places, my biggest heart burden is this, that we would not just know things, but see them in a deeper way. Because I think you know a lot of stuff but there's truth that becomes alive to your heart that actually transforms you, changes you. This is what God actually wants for you too. Um, If you've got your little book, then one of the things, and I'll talk more about this in the newsletter each week and in the podcast, but one of the things that you could do is there's 14 different, or excuse me, 12 different areas, and one of them is related to today, which is engagement with God. And so even if you have this, you can write down on one of the the pages, engagement with God. And in each of those sections, if you read the newsletter, we'll talk about kind of the picture for that and the plan for that and practices for that. But I'll I'll just quickly give you, because I'm at time right now, I'll I'll just quickly tell you that one of the practices for that, that you should write down and say, what does it look like for me to ensure that at least a few times a week, three, what, what if you aimed for three times a week? Man, more than that is, is ideal, but if you just aim for three times a week, I'm going to read the Bible and seek to ask God to show me who he is more and pray to know him like this. If that became a part, if that became a practice that you did three times a week, I promise you that would transform your life because the Bible says it will. We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you didn't get one of those little cups on the way in, you can grab one of those. Communion is a way that Christians remember 
and seek to experience and see who God is to us. And Jesus came to this earth and his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us so that you could be invited into relationship with him, so that every barrier to you knowing him would be removed and you could be reconciled to him, that you could be saved, you could see him. That's part of why he came to this earth and didn't just drop down a book. He wanted us to see him. He wanted us to actually see, here's who I am. And when we take communion, it's part of why we don't just look at words, but we actually take a physical thing because physical things matter. God created us that way to actually remember his broken body and his blood shed and to see this is what he did for me. If you're a Christian, God has a vision for your life. He wants to build in your life and there's more that you can have. You have faith, but he wants more for you. He wants you to experience. And if you're not a Christian, he wants you to see for the first time who he is as savior, forgiver, father, Imagine everything that you know about God dropping levels deep. What would happen? This is what God invites us into. I'm going to pray for us, then we'll respond in communion and a few songs, and I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for anything. Father, I thank you for the gift that you offer to us. I thank you for the invitation that you give to us to come and know you in a deeper way. I thank you that you desire for us more than we often even know is available. I thank you that you don't want us to settle, but that you are infinitely great, infinitely good, much bigger than the Grand Canyon. And you say, come, explore, come, taste, come, see. I thank you that that's your heart to us, to each person in this room. I thank you that that's your heart. And, and God, I, I just... I know we all desire this, but I want to just ask if you, if you really, if God is speaking to you, maybe even in particular, and you want this, even just kind of open up your hands, and I'm going to just pray Paul's words for you. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. I pray that for you in Jesus' name. Amen.